Hello and welcome to the AFT Comments Podcast, episode 163. My name is David Brooke. I'm here with Dan Spinelli. Dan, oh my god, you've been lost to the seas of comics. Last time you were on this show, it was episode 143. You co-hosted with me. You did a fabulous job. So good, in fact. We had to have you on again for a sequel episode. Good lord, I hope we can make this a trilogy. <laughs> Maybe 20 episodes from now, I'll have my triumphant return. <laughs> it is so great to be here. You could only hope. How you been? How you doing? I've been great. I mean, this year has been a lifetime, as all other years have been, it seems, since the pandemic started. But I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be back. And man, it really does feel like forever ago when I was on, but I am confidently assured it was only 20 episodes ago. Time moves slower now in the pandemic age, uh, <laughs> which is weird, too, because as a weekly show where we recap the biggest news of the week, we review our favorite comics, we have guests on all the time. Um, you'd think that it would be like easier to piece out like week by week, but instead, maybe it's harder because I'm recapping so many, uh, you know, new release news and drama in the comics world or Paul Dano becoming a comics writer and no one saw that coming. <laughs> but since I mentioned Paul Dano, let's uh, let's dive into the biggest news of the week. Starting with, I think uh, this might have been the biggest drama of the week. And I, by drama, I mean, good Lord, what were they thinking drama? Uh, Jim Rugg uh, created a variant cover that was an homage to Mouse. Now, that sentence alone should have had somebody say, no, don't do that. Please stop. And um, it was revealed by the Comics Beat, uh, one of the exclusive cover reveals that a lot of these comic sites, including AIPTComics.com, does all the time. Uh, And there was an immediate backlash. Folks were commenting on their tweet uh, outrage, anger, this cover, which you can't see right now, of course, because this is a podcast, uh, basically takes the mouse cover and puts the um, Red Room characters on the cover with the Red Room title. But within, uh, I would say, four or five hours, the Comics Beat issued an apology. They took down the cover. And then maybe four or five more hours after that, Fanographics Press also released apology and said they will not be publishing this cover. Uh, but it was a case where, you know, this is a, mouse is a very important work, not only to comics, but also just culturally. And to homage something like that is a very serious thing to do because you're making a buck on something that's not only important, but it's based on the Holocaust. And as you said to me, Dan, before we started recording, it's also based on an autobiography. It is an autobiography. So it's a very personal story at that. Yeah, I think that whenever you're referencing the Holocaust, obviously, uh, your blinkers should be on, right, in in making sure it's as sensitive as it could possibly be. But I I do think when people talk about Mouse, they tend to forget that it is, right, the story of Art Spiegelman's father and and the story of his family. And even though it's filtered through, um, you know, the use of animals and, and kind of all of the imagery that it's well known for, it is a personal story. Um, And it seems like the intention here was certainly not malicious. I, I think anyone who has listened to Jim Rugg and Ed Piscor's YouTube channel knows how much respect they have for the history of comics and for their fellow creators. So I think it goes without saying that their intention was was probably you know not to offend anyone. Um, but yeah. I think it just was a bit of a strange choice, knowing uh, what we all know about Mouse and certainly what they know about Mouse. 
Right. Yeah. The damage is done, though. I mean, I've seen a lot of angry people saying they, they won't even read the comic speed again. They won't read Jim Rugg's comics again. People are even lumping Ed Pisker in there and saying, because it is his book, uh, won't be writing, reading his books either. Well, I don't know if, if people will remember. I mean, you know, people get very angry quickly on the Internet and then it kind of fizzles out. So we'll see. Yeah, well, as we all know, uh, there there tends to be a you know a good amount of outrage every time that you know these things happen, <laughs> and I think that the creators should have expected that when they came up with this idea. That's true. Yeah, they probably should have had a statement if they were going to stick to their guns, have a statement ready. Because, I mean, come on, the, the first time I saw it, I was like, I can't believe they did this. Why did they do this? <laughs> it is also just crazy. Just boggled it's my crazy mind. Crazy how Mouse just has remained in the cultural consciousness for so long. I mean, for a variety of reasons, yeah. right? Whether it's a school district trying to ban it from, a, you know, a curriculum or from the library, you know, yep. or something like this. It's just a book that has had such a long afterlife. Um, you know, it, at worst, I hope that it encourages more people to read it. That's true. That's true. Um, I wonder. I wonder if Art Spiegelman will will get get the news and have a comment too. I don't know. Be interesting if if they had a take. Um, but moving on to some other news. Uh, if you were to define this week in comics news outside of the news we just talked about, it would probably be Pride Month week. Um, in that Marvel revealed their Pride Month plans, DC Comics revealed their Pride Month plans. Uh, once again, Marvel, I think this is the second year now in a row, they're printing a Marvel's Voices Pride issue, which is an anthology comic coming out in May, featuring um, a ton of c characters, but also creators. Um, this, I think, will become an annual thing. Marvel Voices is a line from Marvel where they've celebrated Women's History Month, Black History Month, um, Asian Pacific Heritage Month, um, and Pride Month now as well. Uh, kind of giving uh, not only marginalized voices in the creative world, but also the marginalized characters, um, a spotlight. Uh, that is about it from Marvel besides variant covers. They're going to have um, Pride Month variant covers. Yeah, so there's eight Pride Month covers by Luciano Vecchio and Betsy Cola that will be published um, on the cover of other titles like Captain America and um, Immortal X-Men, yada, yada, yada. Then we've got DC Comics coming in hot with a ton of stuff. Like, they had a Pride Month uh, special anthology last year as well. And they had variant covers too. But they're also announcing new titles. They are reprinting old graphic novels. Um, a lot going on at the DC Comics uh, Pride Month celebrations. Yeah, I think DC just really, really got me hyped with all of their announcements. Because I think... Not only did they announce a 104-page anthology that includes somehow a revisiting of the Multiversity series, um, as, <laughs> as Dave said to me off-air, a modern classic from Grant Morrison that more and more people um, should read and should be talking about. Not only are they referencing that in, in one of the, the installments in this anthology, but they're also spinning out standalone series that I think look really, really good. In particular, I'm hyped about a Poison Ivy series that G. Willow Wilson is writing. Um, I think the artist is Marcio Takara. That looks really interesting. Yep. I mean, Poison Ivy is obviously such a, a quintessentially, you know, fun character. Um, and just given her place in continuity right now, I find that, you know, she very much is worthy of a spotlight. I think in the recent Batman series, she was like on a wall or something or... <laughs> Uh, it was it was unclear if she had a body um, 
yet. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it'll be nice to figure out what is actually going on with her. But I think that DC's commitment to not only doing this anthology, but also just having more representation of LGBTQ characters across their line is so key. And, and obviously both these companies have quite a lot of work to do, but I think that it's been nice yeah. at least this year Definitely. to see DC um, allow queer characters to take more prominent roles. I think Jonathan Kent and the story that Tom Taylor was telling with him um, was especially interesting. Yeah. You know, we've seen more representation in the Wonder Woman books, um, which I think has been a really big bright spot for DC. So that is something that I'm very you know, interested to, to read about and to see. I do think that we always have to caveat these discussions with just the recognition that like the industry writ large and especially the big two is, is nowhere near where they need to be, not only on the page, but just behind the scenes. And, and any step in, in that direction should be praised, should be acknowledged. Um, but there's still so much work for comics to catch up with kind of where their fans are and where the world is. Sometimes it's hard for me to shake the feeling that like these companies celebrate Pride Month simply to sell books, not to do good work and, you know, give marginalized creators more chance to write stories. You know what I mean? Um, but you're so right. Like DC coming out with Nubia, Queen of the Amazons and um, releasing the Tim Drake uh, stories that were originally published in Batman Urban Legends into its own 64 page one shot. Those are definitely helping create more awareness and the fans feel like, you know, they can see themselves in these stories, which I think is the most important part um, about all of this. But it is funny to me, uh, DC re released their pride month plans. And then like literally two hours later, Marvel did too. I want to know, like, did the PR guys chat before? Like, Hey, let's just do it together. And it'd be a big pride month day. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah. It doesn't usually happen when, uh, when the press releases start coming out. Uh, speaking about things that don't usually happen, though, <laughs> we're going to get to the most exciting news that Dan Spinelli needs to talk about, and we're going to do a 45-minute segment on this called Paul Dano writing Riddler Year One. <laughs> uh, this is uh, announced late Friday. He's joined by Steven Subic on art, uh, which will be set in the Batman. Yes, the Batman universe. And uh, Matt Reeves even took to Twitter last night congratulating Paul Dano on this. So... Essentially, this is the origins of the Riddler from the Batman movie. So if you've seen the Batman, you 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 know that it kind of starts with him already in kind of control and messing around with Batman with that with ease. So how does he get there? How does he know how to make a bomb? Maybe we'll find that out. I don't know. Uh, Dan, what do you think about this news? Well, as, as you stated so eloquently, I love this news. <laughs> and let me tell you, I think that if, first off, if you have not seen the Batman, if you have not seen Paul Dano's oh role in the Batman, please pause this podcast yeah. and run to your nearest theater and watch this three-hour movie. Literally run. <laughs> because <laughs> let me tell you, what Paul Dano is doing in this movie is so interesting. It's so weird. And I think yeah. so interesting in the context of what we know about the Riddler and how that character has been treated throughout the kind of mm -hmm. Batman continuity. Um this is such a modern spin on it. Um, I don't want to spoil anything about it, but it's relevant in a sort of more urgent way um, than one would maybe expect. And I think that in the same context in which the Joker in The Dark Knight sort of occupies this kind of post-war on terror kind of place in our in our consciousness, the Riddler feels very much of a time when, you know, 
conspiracy theories are rife on the internet and uh, you know yeah it seems like cult of personality yes, it seems like anyone can kind of get their message out and, and get an army behind their back and i just am fascinated with the ways uh paul dano took this character now him writing the actual comic i think that yeah. i would most of the time be put off by something like this like when danny devito was writing a penguin comic for dc I think it was funny, but I yeah. was sort of like, do I really want to read what Danny DeVito has to say? Paul Dano actually is a writer. <laughs> I mean, he has, he has written screenplays. Right. Um, he, why he wanted to do this, I have no idea, but <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely be reading this. And I think that um, <laughs> it's an interesting concept now to just have these actors like give us their, their backstory. Is. But um it's definitely among the more gimmicky announcements I've seen, but I'm fully down for it. Yeah, speaking of the announcement, um, I think it's worth saying uh, DC tweeted the, uh, uh, just a, the image of this and a little information on their Twitter account, and they only listed Paul Dano. They did not list the artists, and a lot of big-time artists like Mark Brooks, Brian Hitch, among others, came out and were like, who's the artist? Who's the artist on this? That's kind of weird. You didn't mention the artist, Mitch Gerads. Uh And they're right, like... It's not hard to add the artist credit in a tweet. I mean, you, we have a, plenty of characters to do so. So it was kind of interesting to see that uproar. Uh, I don't think DC even, they didn't issue an apology or anything. They didn't change anything. They just ignored it, I guess. But one of the things that I'm more interested in, in about this series is I'm hoping there's some back matter. There's some, there's some actual information from Paul about the project at some point. I'm sure, I mean, maybe he'll be on this show someday. Uh, but and you'll find out here. It's likely or possible, but uh, Danny DeVito wasn't though, so maybe not likely. <laughs> anyway, I did try to get Danny DeVito on this show, and it didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but to me, I imagine Paul did a ton, knowing the actor that he is, did a ton of research, probably has a whole backstory already written. This book is probably already written in his notebook, in a sense. And he was like, wait a minute, I did all this work to create the, 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 the origin of this character. Why don't I just write the comic? And then he might have just pitched that to DC or maybe even Matt Reeves. And Matt Reeves was like, yep, I'll tell the DC people to let you do it. I don't know if this will sell a lot of comics, to be honest. It's not like Paul Dano is like, I don't know, the Will Smith of of uh, the acting world. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it'll be weirder and in a sense, kind of more literary than maybe we would have expected. Um, I I think right. it'll be interesting to see how Dano would write like an action scene or something like that. Because I find like when yeah. people from other mediums transition to comics, at least in my experience, like thinking about Ta-Nehisi Coates and John Ridley, their bo their books tend to be much wordier and more cerebral. And yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see For how sure. he, he tackles this. And then maybe if it's a huge success, he gets to write the next Fast and the Furious movie because they're just so impressed by his uh, abilities to write action scenes. <laughs> Do you see that leap I just I took? Love it. Absurd. I love it. <laughs> In other uh, DC Comics news, Christopher Priest has been named the writer of Black Adam, a new miniseries with Rafa Sandoval drawing. Clearly, this is a synergy choice. With a Black Adam movie coming out soon, they need to get these issues out so they can have a trade paperback fresh on the shelf for The Rock to hold up uh, on his Instagram. That's the uh, negative person in me saying that. I uh, I think Christopher Priest is a great writer, and this could be really good. Christopher Priest, Deathstroke. Deathstroke? Yeah, yeah. Deathstroke. Yeah. Deathstroke it was so good. Like He just developed like a whole world that I was interested in, and Deathstroke, to me, used to just be this 
kind of one-note assassin. So I'm sure this could be very interesting. It'd be interesting also if, I think a lot of cases like books like this where there are movies coming out, there's got to be a little tidbit from uh, to Christopher Priest about the movie so that there's some linkage, right? Like maybe there's like a wife character in the movie and then all of a sudden this comic has it too, that kind of thing. One thing that I'm curious about here, and like you said with Deathstroke, Priest obviously has a, a really illustrious career. And I think his more modern career has kind of yeah. been spent doing rehabilitation work for DC villains with, with the Deathstroke book and now for Black Adam. I think that yeah. what I'd be curious to see, one thing that has always prevented me from, I think, fully embracing this character is I find the the fictional country backstory very <laughs> problematic occasionally in, in comics. I think something like Wakanda is so yeah. interesting in its own right and has such a rich mythology that it works. But um, Black Adam being from this vaguely Middle Eastern country, Kondak, I think that, you know, is, is sort of its own mm-hmm. nation. Um, I would love to see uh, how Priest kind of deals with that and how he reflects it. Cause I, I've, I found at least in my reading of a lot of these comics, you know, from decades ago, it sometimes does not always age very well, but I, I think that if there's anyone who's positioned to modernize those concepts, it's priest. Oh yeah. I think you're for sure on that one. Rafa Sandoval too. Awesome artist. Uh, Rafa's drawing justice league number 75, the death of the justice league, which comes out in April. And I, got to look at the pencils recently for an interview and holy crap like the composition layout action it's just everything you want in a superhero fight comic. that's awesome pair that with priest and what do you got you got the perfect combo in our next news which is dc tangent i'd say news milestone comics is coming out with milestones in history a new anthology that they say will kick off a milestone event in sometime in the future this has got What's, what's, what's fascinating about this anthology, it's about real-world black you know, heroes in, in our world, written by people in all sorts of entertainment industries. Um, and so we're going to get probably a lot different types. So let me just step back for a second. DC Comics does the best anthologies, in my opinion, and they put out a lot of I 100% of agree with that. And this... Yeah. This 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 concept of taking uh, creators from different realms of entertainment and and having them try out these shorter form stories could be a huge benefit for storytelling and different types of stories. Well, I think we we should we should mention just the scope of these stories. I mean, it, it ranges from Prince, the musical artist Prince, to the author yeah, of yeah. the Three Musketeers, <laughs> Alexander Dumas, to. Hannibal, the the Carthaginian general <laughs> who fought ancient Rome. So with elephants. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Do you know the? Did you know Vin Diesel's been trying to make a Hannibal movie for like thirty? Literally, years? all I know about Hannibal is that <laughs> the opera at the center of the Phantom of the Opera is about Hannibal. Yeah. <laughs> the like first opera. Yeah, what? like in the beginning. I didn't in know the beginning that. Of the Phantom of That's the Opera. Funny. The first song, you know, after the overture that you see them sing is is about Hannibal. <laughs> That's um, funny. Yeah, what on earth is going on here? I, I, I have no idea how they pulled off this idea, but I've been very interested in the recent stuff that Milestone is doing. I think DC's Milestone Initiative, yeah. which has brought in a lot of younger creators of color and, and creators from underrepresented backgrounds, has been awesome. And I think that even just kind of reviving a lot of these characters that mean so much to so many people um, has been really awesome to see. And they've been creative about how to distribute a lot of these books, but 
Yeah, I listen. Do, would I sign up to read a comic about <laughs> Hannibal? I don't know, but <laughs> I think that the idea here is so fascinating, and I'll just be really interested to see how they pull it off. And I think if there's anyone who we should put our trust in to have an interesting creative anthology, it's DC because they've really invested a lot of effort in this kind of stuff. For sure, and I mean the buy-in is low in a sense because. There's definitely going to be a story or two that doesn't connect with you or the art doesn't look quite as sharp as another story, but that's kind of not the point. The point is getting like this package deal of like all these sorts of different types of tales and you're bound to like at least two or three of them, if not half of them. In our next bit of news, moving away from the big two, good lord, I'm so sick of DC and Marvel. Let's talk about Dark Horse being bought by a giant gaming corporation. <laughs> We're going to have to start calling them the big three soon because Dark Horse was officially bought by Embracer Group AB. This is news that we already kind of knew about in December when AB Embracer Group AB uh, announced their purchase of Dark Horse. Essentially with things like this, similar to how we saw the Discovery Warner merger uh, come into place last week, it takes months of like, I don't know, paperwork and like making sure that the golden parachutes are, are packed well for all of our CEOs. Um, and now officially Embracer owns Dark Horse. Uh, Mike Richardson, the CEO and co-founder of Dark Horse, will continue to play a part and be in the same role, essentially. We'll see how long he lasts uh, with these corporate things. Sometimes that doesn't... Like last week, the Comixology founder freaking is not part of Comixology anymore. Now that Amazon's completely uh, taken things over. Um, I'm kind of ranting No, here. I just... I think but, like, uh, it's it's good... I could care less about a lot of this corporate merger news, but I think it's good at least when the parent yeah. company has some basis in storytelling, which hopefully a video mm. game company does. I think I was frustrated with DC for a while when their parent company was a cell phone company because it didn't seem like they had yeah. as much of an investment in storytelling, or at least that was not always the prime motive. Does Amazon have an when investment was... in that? Who knows? But do you remember the 5G thing and AT&T was launching their 5G and then they were <laughs> going to do a big 5G? <laughs> it's just, that's like straight out of like, I don't know, like, you know, like the, you know, the office, like satire, like that doesn't well, seem it's real. Well, like how in every Apple TV property, the characters will FaceTime each other or <laughs> there's always some yeah. kind of use of. The yeah. product is in their hand and it's, it's like the phone that's coming out in two years. Yeah, too. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I said this in the news piece I wrote for the site, but like, can we get a Hellboy like open universe game? Like, we've got to get Hellboy games coming out soon, right? <laughs> like, this is now that there's a gaming company that owns Hellboy or at least owns them in some right. There's there's probably going to be something in development. Yeah, bring back the mask, please. <laughs> yeah, I have Jim Carrey voice him. Uh, in other Dark Horse news, speaking of Hellboy, Hellboy and the BPRD Old Man Whittier is coming out a one shot in June. Drawn by Gabriel Hernandez Walta, uh, written by Mike Mignola. Walta's never done a Hellboy book. He uh, he took to uh, Twitter, but also spoke in, in the press release about how excited he is to do this. Walta's fantastic. He did the incredible Sentient with uh, Jeff Lemire at TKO. Gosh, now it's been two years probably. Um, but I'm really excited for this. I, I, Hellboy has been reduced to one-shots or very short minis, like three or four issues. Um, and it's worked out. So I think this will probably be pretty pretty dope. I've never been the biggest Hellboy fan, but I mean, Gabriel Hernandez Walta can draw an instruction manual, and I would read it. So <laughs> he's fantastic. Oh, you didn't know he actually draws all the IKEA yeah. manuals. <laughs> he, he should. 
man, his, his stuff is unbelievable. If, if you haven't read the Vision series he did with Tom King or the Magneto series that I, I always hype to anyone who asks, um, I think with Colin Bunn, it, it, it's so, so excellent. Yeah, really good. Dark Horse also has a book called The Ward coming out. Um, this one's by Kevin Scott, who's done a bunch of Star Wars comics recently, and also artist Andres pa- Andre uh, Ponce. Um, what's fascinating about this to me, this is coming out in June, by the way, it's a supernatural fantasy hospital narrative, like a medical drama, but with like minotaurs <laughs> and other creatures. This idea is freaking no duh. Why didn't anyone make this yet? Like ER and, you know, all these stupid doctor shows that have been going on for 400 years straight that are all just the same thing. Give me some freaking minotaurs on the uh, on the uh, operating table, please. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> rant over. Other uh, new uh, title news that came out this week, a lot from Image Comics. There's a book called Do a Powerbomb coming out from Daniel Warren Johnson. He's writing and drawing it going to look awesome he's been like putting out art on his twitter of wrestling for months now and you know i think a lot of people were just like oh he's just drawing wrestling for fun no 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 he's doing his job folks he's gonna blow us away for sure also we have beware the eye of odin which is coming out from uh, image comics by doug wagner and tim odland uh there's a full preview on apt it looks really cool inventive colorful lots of crazy little elf people um there seems to be some comedy elements that have been coming through. There's a vault fantasy coming out soon that's also got comedy, which is pretty cool. And we also have Black Flamingo from Image Comics coming from uh, uh, lost it. Andrew Wheeler and Travis Moore. Another preview on APT if you want to go check that out. Uh, looks like a kind of heisty espionage, maybe not espionage, but heisty kind of tale. Looks really clean and the cool. The Tamara Bond villain colors on that are incredible. She's she's a fantastic colorist. Yeah. Oh, one of the best for sure. Never misses. They uh, they did um, the uh, Superman Batman book this week as well, which was really good. Just super bright. Um, just suits the kind of positivity of that book, and this book does have that kind of vibe too, in a sense. In other news, let's let's break away from new series news for a second and talk about Irredeemable getting a Netflix movie? I said that with a question mark. Mark Wade's <laughs> Mark Wade and Peter Krause's uh, series from Boom Studios. Uh, Boom, gosh, it's got to be like four years now. They made this huge deal with Netflix with like a first look deal, they call it. And uh, hasn't a lot been, hasn't been a lot from Boom at Netflix, but this is set up and ready to go with... BAFTA award-winning director James Samuel with um, screenplay by Kemp Powers and Joaquim Dos Santos with Justin Thompson. What do you think of this news, Dan? Well, I think with Invincible being such a good show now on, on Amazon and Irredeemable getting a movie, it's like, man, all of these like kind of fun, you know, Superman adjacent, like dark twists have just been, you know, have become such yeah. a big thing, it seems, in Hollywood. We love these like dark you know twists on on kind of the core superman mythos so i'm very excited for it um i have not revisited irredeemable in a while though i do remember enjoying it kind of when i first read it um i think it's the kind of thing where these stories can be very successful but i think it oftentimes depends on the cast and especially the kind of um, angle that they take with it so i'll be excited to see you know the changes that they make to the story and also um you know, are they thinking about it as a, as a trilogy or they think, you know, how many movies I think 
all of those creative decisions sure. will impact, I think, how I view it. But I don't know. I, I want to hate on some of these comic book adaptations, but then they, a lot of them end up being <laughs> quite surprisingly good. You know, Invincible was maybe my favorite comic adaptation of last year. It's crazy. Yeah, it was really well done. It was addictive to watch. You just want to keep watching it. It's interesting, like, you know, we've got how many Superman movies have we had? How many Batman movies? It's like Hollywood is similar to the comics industry in that, like, we got to change this up, guys. We got to make it a little different. Let's do an evil Superman. They you know love I mean? evil Superman. So, they absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, isn't there one produced by James Gunn? Bright with the kid Burn. Who, like, killed Bright his parents. Burn, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I could not, I could not watch that one. Um, <laughs> speaking of movie adaptations and whatnot, uh, Marvel's coming out with Spider-Verse Unlimited, a new Spider-Verse series on Marvel Unlimited, the vertical comic app, reading app, which so far we've seen a lot of these comics get print runs eventually. Um, considering that this is lining up for when it's done, we're getting even closer to the Spider-Verse sequel coming this fall. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is collected in a, a paper copy. This one's um, written by Anthony Piper with art by Bruno Oliveira. It features all sorts of Spideys you like, like Spider-Man 2099, Spider-Ham, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I I'm actually surprised they haven't been exploring like these side-verse uh, Spider-Man characters uh, for a while now. I guess they wanted to focus on Ben Riley. Yeah, we had quite a lot of Spider-Gwen in our lives for a while. Um, we did. Oh, my God. She was like... Yeah, she really was everything. Um <laughs> Ghost Spider Ghost now. Ghost Spider. Um, I don't know about that name. I'm still on the fence on that. Yeah, one. I mean, it's, it's it's kind of like Silk too. You know, the, a lot of these like Spider-Man adjacent characters are really interesting, but it's tough to brand them. You know, it's like they want them to be connected to Peter, but you, the more you do that, the less they are their own character. Yeah. And then in our last piece of news, oh my god, the Hellfire Gala is coming. We know, we knew already that it's an annual event. Last summer, last June, I think, there was a whole month of Hellfire Gala tie-in comics uh, all surrounding one night, one party, uh, where it's very much like uh, the Met Gala, where all these characters dress up in incredible costumes, thanks to, uh, a lot, a lot of thanks to uh, Russell Dodderman doing a lot of the designs for these costumes. We've gotten some new info, and now it's a one-shot, a 72-page one-shot, uh, instead of a whole month of, of comics, which is kind of cool, in a sense, because I felt like last year, the gala kind of dragged. I mean, to have a month of comics taking place over, like, two hours seems like a, a bit much, even with Marvel's sliding timescale. Yeah, I think... But uh, we've gotten... Yeah, yeah, I think the effect, you yeah. know, of doing a, a second version of the Hellfire Gala, given that we've already experienced the first one, you, you're going to have to kind of change it up to an extent. But I think the lineup of artists is definitely very exciting, especially seeing Chris Anka's name there. You know, he's not someone I, I've seen on a lot of interior art yeah. recently. And I think getting him into the fold is really incredible. Obviously, Russell Dodderman, Matteo Lolly, CF Villa. Um, my one request, Dave, and I said this to you off air. Yeah. You know I ride for the X office. I think they do a terrific job. I enjoyed the Hellfire Gala. I also thought it dragged a little bit, but I, I thought the designs were impeccable. I am begging you guys, really please, good, yeah. no more celebrity cameos in these books. It, it's I we got it. It was great. It was fun to see George R. R. Martin. It was fun to see you know all the writers drawn into the books. It's cool. I I never need to see Kevin Feige talking to Cyclops again. I just don't need to see it. I you know I just <laughs> Dan, don't need think it. of. 
You know how rappers duel and they fight and they go back and forth? How many rappers went to their agents and were like, why am I not in the X-Men comic that Eminem is? This is bullshit. I need to get into next year's or I'm going to fire you, my agent. And now, you know, there are agents knocking on the door of Jordan White's office saying, why can't I get Machine Gun Kelly into this comic? This is really important. Oh, God. Fine. Put MGK in there. No Kevin Feige. I can't do it. I just can't. I think Taylor Swift would actually be a decent Dazzler if they ever did a Dazzler movie. But it has to be directed by, um, what's his name, from Moulin Rouge, that director. Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann. He gets to do whatever he wants. Dazzler. Uh, it's multiversal story, so she, he can just do whatever. And, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. We need Swift like a past her prime story. Taylor Swift. Sorry. You know, get her, you know, get her at the end of her career. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dolly Parton age. <laughs> well, Dolly Parton is never past her prime. Let me just clarify. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. She is amazing. And I think she should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's a little bit more news for you this week. She uh, re- she rejected the nomination or something like that. Um, in our next segment, we're going to talk about Substack. Oh, my God. So Substack's come up in the news multiple times over the last year, of course. Uh, we've talked all about it on the show, but... What's going on with the Substack comics? We don't usually talk about those comics in part because many of them aren't complete comics. We're getting, you know, three, one to six pages, sometimes not even every week, sometimes it's bi-weekly. It depends on the Substack. Uh, but we're going to talk about what we're reading, what's some of the stuff we like, what's some of the stuff we don't like, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Dan, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Well, I think it's it's a really interesting thing to talk about because so much of comics now has migrated to this platform especially a lot of the the heavyweights you know the james tynans the jonathan hickmans um donnie cates ryan stegman um chip zadarsky but i think like you said dave it's difficult to review in a traditional way because the comics we're getting are often not full issues um sometimes they're just chapters you know or or um almost like five or six page snippets and I think that the platform itself has not really helped the cause because for those who, who have used Substack in the past, it's very much a writer's platform. It's meant to send newsletters. And the main people who were using it before comics kind of started this big push on it was writers and journalists particularly. So kind of now taking a visual medium and putting it on this newsletter platform, I think has been a bit of an imperfect fit. And we've seen that in the way that Substack has tried to roll out these different, you know, apps and platforms to get people to read comics. It just, in my mind, has sort of not succeeded in that sense. I think a lot of the quality has been good. One of my top books of the week is a Substack comic. And I mean, just given the talent that's on the platform, it's hard for it not to, to totally work. But I think that it is not a very pleasurable reading experience for me. Um, Basically, to give people some background, um, the comics on the platform you can download as a PDF. Um, you can also uh, use this app that they have called Panels, um, which for a while was only available on iPhones. And I have found that the app is fine. You know, it works like any other kind of digital comics reader, but you know, you have to essentially go from the Substack app or the Substack website and switch over to uh, Panels, the, the, the reading app. And 
it's just not something that I find, you know, easy to use when you're switching between apps, um, especially because a lot of these Substack posts include a lot of writing, include, you know, Jonathan Hickman explaining all the backstory of, of what this what this comic is about and what these characters are saying. So I just find it a bit cumbersome. And the other thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about, Dave, was just there's so much of it. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how a yeah, typical yeah. fan can keep up with it. Like, in my inbox... I, I mean, it's just like 30 <laughs> emails a week from, you know, four or five sub stacks. I, I, I think it's very tough. To a lot of times, with. too, they're like. A lot of the times they're time to go out at the exact same hour or minute. So like I'm like I, all of a sudden I have like four emails in my inbox and I'm like, wait, which one should I read first? Maybe I just won't read any of them. <laughs> I do think that <laughs> I'm yeah. currently. No, sorry. Yeah. You go ahead. I, I'm currently subscribed, a paid subscriber to. Uh, three Worlds, Three Moons, which is Jonathan Hickman's, uh, Empire of the Tiny Onion, uh, James Tynan, uh, Chip Zdarsky's, KLC Press, which is, of course, Donna Cates, and then Jeff Lemire's Tales from the Farm. I'm also subscribed to a bunch more, like Grant Morrison's Xanadoom and uh, Scott Snyder's Art Best Jacket. Um, but I, it's so hard to keep up, in part two, because I'll open up Three Worlds right now, and it's not immediately obvious which one has a comic in it. Some of them are just like, we're going to hang out and talk about uh, Dune. Let's go do that. And you're just like, okay, that's all right. That's nothing. And then there are ones that are like, uh, like you were saying off air, actually, like these like massive tomes of notes on like the magic of three worlds and how it works. And that's an time investment where casually, I'm not going to just be like, oh, I'm going to just read that during my work day and oh okay this is a 45 minute read or whatever just to understand it uh and and that goes that especially goes for klc press where i i love ryan segman's art and i love that they're making probably a ton of money on all of this but almost every post by them is here's a podcast we just did here's a a, a giveaway here is um a chance to talk to some or ask a question like the actual comics they're they're barely coming through and there's so much i don't know where to look where to find the comic um and of course oh i should preface this by saying i just started using the new app uh the uh substack app which is only for ios still as well like you had sort of said there it's not on android but it's it's it makes it a little easier to see what you have and what your subscriptions are but when i open a subscription it is just I have to scroll forever. There's no way to, there's no, it's not organized by, okay, here are the comic PDFs. Here's this, here's that. And my eyes glaze over. I don't know where to start. And I'm just like, I don't have the time right now to do this. Like, it's like, I need to devote a full Sunday to just <laughs> like homework, looking at my, uh, all my sub stats. Yeah. I think the organization has really been a problem. Um, Three worlds has gotten a lot better on that front since they created a standing index page that actually lists the comics. But to your point, um, yeah. the comics are not always understandable unless you have read kind of all the backstory that comes through in the text only posts. So it, it's, yeah. or the fact that you haven't seen the last chapter for four weeks <laughs> and now you're getting a new chapter and you're like, wait, what, who's, who's this character? One thing that I, I think has been a really interesting use of the platform is what Brian K. Vaughn is doing. Um, and I, I want to make sure I pronounce the name of the artist correctly. Sorry that I don't have this readily handy. Um, don't want to okay. make the same mistake DC did. Um, Nico <laughs> Henrikan, I believe. Um, 
really awesome yeah. artist from Pride of Baghdad, but um, he is essentially treating his Substack as uh, a place to just do a running web comic, and it's not a web comic. Yeah. I, our, our our understanding is that Nico and Brian Kavon's book is going to be ultimately like a 350 page graphic novel when it's completed, but we're getting it in kind of like five, six page snippets that come out every week. And what I like about it is it very much is something that I could not imagine him publishing traditionally, just given the kind of violence of it. And it's extremely graphic um, more so than even BKV fans would be familiar with. Like I think even saga looked relatively tame compared to what's going on here. And seeing it kind of unfold in this way um, actually is, is quite interesting, especially as he sort of adds his commentary and we see a lot of the artist breakdowns that Nico Henrikan is doing. Um, but I think that their strategy of like making you remember what happened, what happened a week ago is very interesting because they will do like last time, this is what happened. We're, we're picking up from this point and it's helpful yeah. to me. Um, whereas, you know, I feel oh, like totally, I need yeah. to like, spend an hour doing homework before I read a three worlds, three moons post, which is very, is very fulfilling because they're building this universe in real time. And it's very interesting. And the people involved are, are, you know, brilliant all around, but I think it just, the volume of the material, if you're into it is amazing and you're certainly getting your money's worth, but it is very difficult to keep track of and follow. You know, considering that to be a, one of the founder subscribers, it's like $250 for most of these. Uh, I, I'm sure the value is, is there on some scale since you, you are getting messaged so much about, you know, developments or notes or having a hangout with Mike Del Mundo and Jonathan Hickman. Um, so in that regard, I can see where there's the value, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't think Substack even knows the future. Like they don't, they've, they're trying to solve it with this app, which works pretty well. And like, when you go to a, a post that has actual comics in it, um, it's similar to the email that you get, but when you scroll down, it actually has the comic just there uh, instead of having to click a button to go to, go to a, the PDF and read it. So that's kind of a cool thing about the new app, but the new app still, it should be able to, you should be able to have all the comics in one spot. It's fairly easy to organize and it's not that way yet. Speaking of, uh, you know, Tiny Onion, I really like that Substack. I think, James Tynan is doing a fabulous job, like keeping us up to date, telling us what's coming. Uh, I think he recently just did like a thing, well, what's coming in 2022. And he, he gave us detail, not only cover art, but details on each book so we can anticipate it. Um, so there's like a, re a release kind of schedule. He's very timely too, with like bi-weekly release schedules for these books. He's got multiple content too. Like he's got the department of truth, wild fictions. Um, he's got the ongoing blue book story that's coming out regularly. Whereas some of these other substacks, you know, like Grant Morrison isn't really making comics. It's more just like thoughts and ideas, which is a different experience entirely. That, not that I'm not knocking it, but uh, it's like there's it's a bit of it like the wild, wild west here. Right. Like everybody can kind of do whatever they want. Like Tom King and um, Bill Quis or not, um, Elsa Chartier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Elsa Chartier. She they are having a really interesting model here where you get to read all the comics for free. You have to pay for the, uh, the bonuses, a different, different kind of way of doing it. Whereas like three worlds, you kind of have to pay to get the content. Um, 
I'm fascinated by this. I've said this from day one. I think Substack had a bunch of money, maybe from Russian oligarchs. Who's to say? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they dumped a bunch of money into this, which is great for the creators. But how long will the money last? Because I don't know if this is a money-making app yet. It doesn't feel like it. It's like racing to, to get and it, there. It seems like the, the transition that they've made from making everyone subscribe up front to now having these Substacks like Tom and Elsa's where... The comic is free, but all of the back matter and the podcasts and the interview material you have to subscribe for, that indicates to me that they're trying to shake something up here because... Yeah, maybe something wasn't working too. I'm sure it probably wasn't because, again, I don't know who the audience is for this besides like the 5% of diehards who are really obsessed with everything that Grant Morrison says, which I would count myself among that group, but (laughs) I don't think that there are many people who... Are willing to pay for this especially when you consider just the volume like of the sub stacks you listed dave like that's approaching like 30 to 35 dollars a month right like in just paying these people for five six page comics i would be surprised if Substack has some plan in place where you pay 50 to 100 and you get x many subscriptions um and becomes a publisher in a sense a comics publisher in a sense uh, because it is, it, I've, I, I think I've dumped, I mean, I, I listed off all the ones I've subscribed to. I think I've dumped like $1,200 into this and I feel like I've gotten $20 worth of content only because, and that's largely my fault. I just don't have the time to look at it all the time because I'm reviewing Marvel comics, reading DC comics for the show, of course, and writing reviews for this, the site and like, and just keeping up with stories I like. And, and what like, are you going to review? Add, are you going to review Rom V's theory of, economics and the three worlds world you know like it's cool it, it like and i'm not even knocking it yeah. it is legitimately cool and intellectually fascinating to see these brilliant creators show us how they create these worlds i just i don't know what to say about it because it's not complete yet we're seeing these snapshots well i can tell you from like x-men monday and how you know we do creator interviews all the time on the site and I see comments all the time where it's like, I don't give a shit how Josh Williamson writes. I only want to know if Superman dies at the end of the issue. (laughs) Like there's a huge amount of general fans that do not care how the world was built. They just want to know if their legacy character is going to sleep with Catwoman or poison. You know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) there's a disconnect there too, but I want to make one other comment. I feel like Substack has, obviously they've, and we know Nick Spencer was involved in curating all these creators getting on the app. Uh, the notorious writer of uh, Amazing Spider-Man recently. Um, there's like a cult of personality element to this that I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by. And we see it, of course, in politics today and, and our, you know, our freaking celebrities that are more famous and more popular than Jesus Christ. Uh, that they really did sell these substacks with the, the name, right? Like Brian K. Vaughn, you know him from Saga, you know him from Why the Last Man, now follow him. And uh, it's not like we're getting a universe of stories necessarily, we're getting scraps at this point. And on top of that, almost all of these substacks have deals with mostly Dark Horse right now to publish a finalized book and put it into bookstores, which is the end game. To which I think, why do I need to subscribe at all if almost all of these already have deals set up to have books in stores? Why do I need to read it slowly and incomprehensibly because I don't have the time to look at it or I forget what the characters and what, you know what I mean? 
So there's like a disconnect there too. I think I also wonder too how how top heavy this project is. You know, I, I think someone like James Tynan, I'm very happy to give my money to him. I think he does great work, but I think if Substack didn't exist, a lot of places would be happy to publish James Tynan's comics. I don't think he would have trouble finding a publisher. <laughs> and you know, yeah. is this just a way to reward the Grant Morrisons and the Brian K. Vaughns and the Jonathan Hickmans of the world? Reward, you know, it's a good word. Um, and yeah. I, I hope that more money in the comic space means that artists whose names I don't know, people whose whose work hasn't been recognized yet, has right. have the opportunity right. to kind of participate. Because right now, it, it seems like a way to just reward the people who are already succeeding in a thing already. Market. Yeah. Yep. Or people who've got movie and TV deals and getting that that cash that so many care, uh, creators covet. That's where like a subscription model might work, where you pay two hundred dollars a month and Zach Thompson, Lonnie Nadler, you know, Vida Yela, they all get you get a subscription to whatever they're making for one flat fee, kind of thing. But then again, if they did it that way, it'd be like scraps because it's like, oh, you got to pay for Hickman, but you you get a you get a bundle with Zach Thompson or whatever. <laughs> But I would be intrigued um, by that idea. But you're, you know, yeah, yeah, I would be interested. Um, another thing that I, I think Substack kind of promised, or at least some of the creators did when it, when they were announcing they were joining Substack, was this idea that they had more opportunity to create new stories, try things out that they couldn't at say Dark Horse or Image, and. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like you just said, I think James Tynan could literally pitch anything to anyone and they'd say yes before he opened his mouth. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm not quite seeing anything that's that revolutionary. I do think Three Worlds, Three yeah. Moons is doing stuff that's really different, but it still hasn't come to this place where I really know what it is yet. So it's hard for me to gauge. Um, it might come out as like the next Dune, essentially. <laughs> it's just a Dune ripoff. I think no, what, whatever the, the the end result of Three Worlds, Three Moons is, I'm sure any amount of publisher would have wanted to publish that. But I think the way that they're doing it and the creative process that we're seeing in real time, that very much is conducive to a platform like like Substack. And I, I, I'm fascinated right. by it. I think the whole thing is interesting. I feel sometimes like I need a PhD to understand what is going on, or I need someone in the three worlds discord <laughs> chat to like catch me up to speed. But I think that sure. when you see someone else like Tom King and, and Elsa Chartier, they have a really interesting platform. Could I have seen that book published at image or boom or anywhere else? Yeah. You know, I don't think it needs to specifically be a Substack book. I don't think that, um, you know, yeah. James Tynan's books need to necessarily be on Substack. And like you said, a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are going to be in print with Dark Horse. Um, but right. I guess it would be interesting to see someone really push the boundaries content-wise um, beyond what we would be yeah. comfortable or at least used to seeing from a major publisher. And I think Brian K. Vaughn and, and Nico Henrikan's comic maybe is that, given how totally crazy violent it is but you know i'm sure i'm yeah. sure no one would turn down a brian k vaughn book either yeah i'm, I'm thinking of like fanographics yeah. they constantly put out really cool stuff that's just so different a lot of it is you know comic strip kind of style and cartooning but really wild different art styles that you just would never see a major publisher publish just they can't get away with it. they need to have more of like a superhero kind of comic style because it's more generally purchased by the audiences 
if, if Substack went in a route where they had like an indie package, say you paid a hundred dollars for or two hundred fifty dollars for the year to get six different creators of of fanographics quality, like or 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 ingenuity, that would be really neat. Um, now the reverse of that, KLC Press, you've got Zdarsky, sorry not Zdarsky, uh, Stegman and Donny Cates. They literally were saying we have three series that we don't know where it's going yet, like two or three months before Substack even existed for comic creators. So like their books were going to go to, uh, you know, image at some point eventually. But then they were like, oh, wait, let's just make this this uh, some bucks from Substack. So like those books could have easily lived um, at a publisher. So I think what we've decided is we need to get Linda Berry and Chris Ware on Substack. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Ware would fucking burn Substack to the ground. <laughs> that dude is so tactile. His books have like, have you ever gotten one yeah. of them? They're like, there's one where I have it behind me actually. You like yeah. flip the page and all of a sudden there's an envelope and then you open it up, there's a mini comic inside. Yeah. I want to know how the hell they publish stuff like that. That is madness. Build, building but stories yeah, I no, have that, in my my childhood bedroom and like it looks like a board game. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. That one's fabulous. Yeah, Chris Ware would join Substack and like the first download would be a virus <laughs> and it would like destroy your computer. <laughs> but then it would like turn into like a flower screen or something. I don't know. He'd, he'd have to take it a step further where everyone would feel uncomfortable. Anyway, <laughs> this has been an interesting Substack conversation. Um, obviously, things are still ongoing. I mean, this new iOS app is literally like three weeks old. So innovation is ongoing obviously creators are still putting out some incredible work on on a lot of the uh subsects we mentioned and uh i suggest if you haven't download the app a lot of these are free and you can get comics on your phone instantaneously for free um it doesn't cost anything just to try it out for a lot of these some of them you do just to get any content but see what you think i don't know if this is the future of comics but it's definitely an interesting road road uh what is it uh Road bump? Road bump? It's an interesting fork in the road, for sure. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it on our Substack Convo. In our next segment, Top Books of the Week, we're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week only, folks. That's it. If you weren't alive this week, you didn't get it. You didn't go to the shop and buy it, probably, because <laughs> you're a baby. Dan, <laughs> what was your second favorite book My of the week? My second favorite book of the week is... Um, Eternals the Heretic number one, which is one of these special issues that Kieran Gillen has been doing um, as part of his Eternals run. And this was drawn by Ryan Bodenheim and finished by Edgar Salazar. So for those who don't know, Ryan Bodenheim actually passed away midway through drawing this issue. And it creates a really uncanny reading experience, given that it is about Thanos and it is about kind of Thanos meeting this proto-Eternal, uh, who is a more evil, uh, you know, much darker uh, kind of version of um, the, you know, the evil side of the Eternals. I think Kieran Gillen referred to him as the Logan Roy of the Eternal. <laughs> so he sort of sees what Thanos is doing and he says, you know, you killed half the universe. Um, you can do much better than that. You know, <laughs> that's that's child stuff. Yeah. And I think that no one is better than, than Kieran Gillen at writing evil characters and, and having them talk to each other in such unique, fascinating ways. And I think what really makes this issue stand out for me, you know, besides, you know, kind of Bodenheim and his work and his shadow sort of looming over it, is just the way that Thanos is characterized. Um, 
he's almost characterized in a sense as like a sap, right? As this person who was abandoned by his family, who is, you know, never loved by them, who is constantly seeking the love of death, of, of lady death, of someone who will, will never ever return his affection. And kind of seeing Thanos in this interesting way um, is I think the, the big takeaway of Kieran Gillen's reinvention of the Eternals. I think that no one has done uh, this kind of complex work on Thanos in a while. And it is, I think, in my mind, uh, one of the, the more under-discussed kind of stories at Marvel. And I, I wonder if that will change when they do this big crossover um, in the summer with Avengers and, and X-Men. But I just think everything he's done on the Thanos front and in these other kind of standalone one-shots has been really well worth checking out. Yeah, the stuff with Thanos, it, it's just created new context for him, but also like new motivations. Like, you know, he wanted to like kill, you know, all our heroes on Earth, but now he's like literally tied to Earth in some way, in some fashion. And uh, you're right, his, uh, his, he calls him grandfather at the end of the book. Uh, dude, like, is just like casually committing genocide. And he's like totally fine yeah, with not it. Not even genocide, uh, omni genocide, whatever that means. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely really compelling stuff. Really good uh, character, and and the data pages uh, too were really cool in this one. Like they were giving us a lot of info on like family hierarchy and stuff. Yeah, I think if if you are someone who is a fan of Gillen's work or a fan of um, you know any kind of like Jonathan Hickman secret, you know, New Avengers, Avengers stuff, this is really the book for you because this is just evil people conniving and you know. <laughs> existing within this sort of weird family structure it is so freaking cool and if there's one mm. positive that came out of that eternals movie being a bit of a hot mess it is this series because it has just been one of my favorite things that marvel has done yeah i interviewed uh, gillen and i was like how does the movie affect your story he was like sell better more books <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i was like touche um yeah it was really it was really solid book i reviewed it for the site and uh, i really dug it um my second favorite book of the week though is the silver coin number 10 uh by michael walsh uh, with an interesting like i want to call interview uh but not with aditya bidikar who's a letterer wrote an interview between a a cop and another guy at the end of this is a two-page interview which is intriguing within the universe of the silver coin uh, we've talked about the silver coin on the show a bunch of times. It's basically a cursed coin, uh, one uh, anthology where every issue is drawn by Michael Walsh, different writer every time. Sometimes Michael Walsh writes and draws like with this issue. And it's slowly, re- we realize now that it's it's not necessarily an anthology of um, stories that aren't connected. There actually is like a universe kind of building out here, which is very evident in this issue where we see familiar faces from previous chapters show up to slash at uh, some teenagers. I bring that up because it is like a teen slasher sort of story, which I don't think this series is done yet, uh, but it does it in a different way. Uh, really good use of color, lettering. Walsh also letters the book. Um, it's just, it feels, if you're like a hardcore comic fan like us, who's read comics your whole life or who has read it all, um, will probably get something out of this simply because it feels fresh and new in different ways. It's tantalizing with its lettering. Like it's that kind of thing where it's, it's, it's not the samesy samesy kind of stuff we always see. It's also pretty scary too. Walsh uses um, figures that are in the dark really well, where 
it's like almost black and there's a, just a faint uh, sort of outline of like faces and stuff coming out of their mouths but it's done in another color that's very dark as well. And it like literally forces you to look closer at it. And then your brain goes, no, <laughs> and you see it. it. There's this horror effect that you don't usually get out of comics. Cause you know, a jump scare is pretty tricky to pull off in a, in a paper comic book. Uh, but super, super love the series. I love the concept of different writers jumping in and doing their own horror stories with a cursed coin angle. The cursed object uh, story isn't, I mean, what's the best cursed object movie? I can't even think of it. Is Hellraiser a cursed object movie? It is, right? Because of that box. I love those Annabelle movies. I know that's a, that maybe, maybe is a hot take, oh, but sure. they're better than you think. I will <laughs> say, um, I mean, the silver coin is unbelievably good. It has for me that feeling of when you go to see your favorite band live and the bassist is like, jumping on the the drums and you know like the person who never sings is like the lead singer for one song and they just are kind of jamming and and bouncing around and i think just all of these different brand names that he brings in to write or it seems in this case right he brought in a letter a didia bitikar who's an unbelievably good letterer to come in and, and write a portion of it no actually walsh well yeah, yeah. a portion of it walsh did the yeah. main story but yeah, to have Aditya do that backup is kind of interesting. I just think, yeah. It just shows you like indie comics can take swings, like you're kind of saying, like jumping up with the bass, like try new things and see if it works or not. And that's cool that there is now this developing like superstructure to it as well, right? Like it's not just, yeah. I know, it's right? It's not just <laughs> all one shots. It's got its own multiverse. <laughs> Everything is a multiverse now. <laughs> every, every fucking thing is a multiverse. I was posting a... Uh, uh, memes in a, in a, in the AIPT Discord uh, saying multiverse so hot right now. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite book of the week, though? So my favorite book of the week, and is it a book? <laughs> is it a book? Is it <laughs> no a physical book? It is not a physical book, <laughs> at least not yet. But it is another horror book. I think multiverses are in right now. Horror comics are in right now. Horror comics are huge right now, and no one, in my opinion, is doing it better than than James Tynan. I mean, we can lay roses at his feet all all day. He's he's been on just a, a year and a half long heater, but he's been doing this comic on his Substack called The Closet, and it is a three-part series. So he just did the second part. Um, they're free to read, so even if you don't subscribe to him, you can read it. And what he does better than than few writers I've seen is he is so good at making you think about what's not on the panel, and that's really useful for a horror writer because you're constantly wondering about what's lurking around the edges. But I think in this comic, where it connects is the, the crux of the issue is a conversation between a father um, and a sort of, you know, long lost friend. And what comes through in this conversation is very much that the father is, is someone who's self-absorbed, who's selfish, who's not really paying attention to what's going on around him. And as we see his son uh, begins having this, you know, interaction at night with a creature in his closet and what I think makes the story really heartbreaking is us knowing what is happening with, with the, the son and the father, not the father being too self-absorbed to really pay attention. And the way that Tynan frames that, and um, he's working with artist Gavin Fullerton on this, and he always has kind of a rock star crew of, of collaborators on his Substack, um, is, is just, I think one of the, the more touching horror stories I've, I've read recently. And I, I think it's going to go to a really dark, sad place in this third issue. But 
I love the way that he he works in those kind of familial issues and and issues of you know a sort of absent father um, while kind of using these very fanciful horror tropes. You also get a full comic. It's it's pretty it lengthy is. for Substack. It, it's longer, I think, <laughs> Dude, yeah, than, you, a, than a regular comic. When you see the feet, I got. I got like a tingle. I was like, Oh yeah, no. Great creature design, <laughs> like very minimalist too. It's not, you know, super grotesque yeah. or anything, but it, it is creepy in its sort of own small way. Yeah. It's really cool. I, I agree. I think Tynan's doing some of the best work. It's, it's so varied. I mean, it's all horror, but it's, it's also varied in its, in its feel because of the different artists and stuff like that. It's a lot going on there. Um, good pick. My favorite book of the week is uh, The Forgotten Blade by Si Chun and Tony Fazula. Um, this is a TKO Presents book, so it's a full graphic novel. You get the whole story. Hundreds of... Um, I don't know how many pages it is exactly, but it's over 100 pages. Um, it just came out on Tuesday, but it was... Uh, I think it was announced only like two months ago. TKO, if you don't know, is... Um, they came out uh, guns ablaze with this interesting new way of delivering comics where you could get the graphic novel you could get a six issue run of it physical copies or you could get it digitally and you get to decide uh which format you want um it's pretty cool to get a whole book in your hands um and get to read it from cover to cover i've loved a lot of their books a lot of them are horror as you say uh, horror is really in right now this one though is like a fantasy sci-fi um lonesome traveler warrior story uh, which is taking a big shot at the, the church. Uh, not necessarily the Christian church, but a church similar to the Christian church that tries to rule over the land and do uh, tell everyone what to do. Um, the story opens with this character who takes out the best, uh, best hope uh, humanity had to stop the church. He was working for the church, but that's because he's just a hired gun. Now the world, 10 years, or I think 15 years later, the world is now not better off because the church is in control. And he soon meets this woman who has magical abilities. And she pretty much tells him after uh, some exploits and for him to get convinced enough to help her at all. Because at first he's like, no way, lady. Uh, like your typical samurai tale. She's like, let's go kill God. And he's like, let's do it. <laughs> And they go off on this insane adventure. They see crazy fantasy creatures. The art uh, by Fezula is just amazing. The environments are insane. The cities look like, I mean, think about like beehives where there's like these really cool structure. There are like these structures that look like they were almost grown from the earth. Um, the, the architecture in this is is astounding. Like I, I, I would recommend this just for someone to look at like the buildings and stuff in, the, in these stories. Really cool stuff. Um, I gave, I reviewed this on Friday and I gave it a 10 out of 10. I only give out like three or four of those a year max. Uh, and I review like 400 books a, week, a year too. So it's not, it's not something I do very often. I really, really love this book. It felt like a full adventure. It had a purpose. It had a, a meaning behind it all. Like fuck the church essentially. <laughs> um, really cool fantasy sci-fi, fi, uh, themes throughout as well. Uh, there's definitely tropes that look familiar, but they, there's enough twists on them almost always. So that it feels entirely new. Uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend checking that. I think it's like uh, 25 bucks on Amazon or or you can buy it directly from TKO. That was a great poll for me. Have you perused the TKO? Oh, thanks. Uh, have you checked out the TKO books at all? I have not. 
um, that is absolutely a blank spot in my my comics consumption. It's tough. Like, not every comic book shop is going to carry it, too. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's not like it's printing. They're not printing constantly either. They're only printing, I think, once or twice a year. And uh, the format makes it harder to sell too, because it is a graphic novel format. Whereas you know, it's not up there with uh, Spider Man next to it. Yeah, I think it's interesting how. Um, curated their line seems to be like they were very deliberate about what they put out but listen if it got a if it got a 10 from you that's reason enough for me to check it out you're right that those do not come very often (laughs) well that's it for best books top books of the week in our next segment which everyone loves standout kapow moment of the week our favorite moment page panel it has to be pretty much on one page, unless it's a double page splash, I suppose. We somehow picked the same moment. I don't think that's ever happened on this show. And uh, it's from X Lies of Wolverine, number five, uh, by Ben Percy and Joshua Cassera. Dan, take us away. So this book, which for those who have read it, is basically the Terminator starring Wolverine, <laughs> <laughs> culminates in... Uh, a scene involving some artifact called the Cerebro Sword, which I could not explain to you. But Wolverine uses it to essentially <laughs> chop Omega Red in half. Is that Do I have that correct, Dave? Okay, I think you have it. Here, let me bring it up because I have it. Oh, by the way, if you go to AFPTComics.com and you look at this podcast post, you can see it. So the sword is actually in Wolverine. Yes, it is in him and he pulls uh, it out, right? Well, no, he's slashing here. He's cutting him with his with his claws. Oh yes, you're you're a hundred percent right. And there's there is like omega red meat <laughs> flying up you're in the right. air, being not only is he cut in half, he's like there's chunks of him coming off of him. Uh, Wolverine just like battled him in in an intense like multi page, tons of panels, uh, crazy layout design. Um, action sequence and it culminates to this moment where he shoves his arm into the hole of an omega Reg's chest and then uses that leverage to rip him open <laughs> that is you're right you're do you remember right. i want i want a, a christian fundamentalist mother to see this and then get really mad <laughs> well it's funny because these marvel books you know carnage which came out this week this x lives of wolverine series have been really violent in a very exciting way for, for fans who are into that. But you know, beyond I think what I've seen in other Marvel books, (laughs) you're certainly not seeing this in the MCU anytime soon. Do you remember? I think it was in the eighties or you would know about this. Uh, There's a moment where bullseye kills Elektra and his, the sigh he puts, takes her sigh and puts it through her. And it was a huge controversy but you never see the blade come through her back because it's pushing the back of her shirt like a tent. So you never see like penetration technically because it's behind her shirt. So they got away with it. But like that was at a time where like you couldn't get away with anything uh, because the comics code authority would come after you. Well, those days are long gone. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is crazy how violent stuff is getting. Sometimes I wonder like, is Marvel just like, you know, Tip, dipping their toe and then they kind of go in the water a little more. You know what I mean? Like how, how much can they get away with until they're like, Oh, we're in trouble, <laughs> uh, which may happen, may not. I mean, I think at this point, uh, the way the world is, people are getting more and more desensitized, desensitized, desensitized to violence. 
But moving on to our next segment, top books for next week. What's the number one comic you're looking forward to next week? So to stay on this subject, I'm looking forward to X Deaths of Wolverine number five, which is the other five issue miniseries that is essentially intertwined with X lives or 10 lives, whatever the actual title is. And <laughs> one of them is 10 and one of them is X. <laughs> I don't know. I always forget. which Great. One's Always right. making it easy for us. <laughs> I see. Um, and I think visually X lives has been in my mind, the superior book. It, it's just been a, an action series the entire way through. But I think in terms of plot, in terms of characterization, in terms of what it means for the rest of the broader X line, I've been more intrigued by X deaths and what it has said about Maura McTaggart and kind of her role going forward. And also just the way we've kind of gotten a capsule Wolverine family story, which is really awesome. Um, yeah. I'm a sucker for Dokken and Scout and of course, Laura Kinney. So I think that seeing them together and, and, you know, us being set up for this kind of huge finale that is apparently now going to connect those two series is really exciting. And I think Ben Percy um, and his awesome crew of artists have done a great job with that. So I'm excited to see how that series finally turns out. It was also cool how X lives kind of teed up X deaths where it's like, Wolverine comes back to Krakow and he's like, I just went through hell dude. (laughs) And he's like, wait, you know you have to go kill yourself, yep. right? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and there's like this weird techno, you know, the face is all messed up and his family, uh, all the family members you just mentioned were fighting him. Uh, yeah, no, I, it, it'll be interesting. I, I'm, I'm, To me, that issue is most exciting in part because they've kind of promised these two series to sort of, uh, I don't know, change the line in a sense for Destiny of X this new line where we're going to have uh, X-Men Red and Immortal X-Men coming out. So like what's going to happen with Moira where it actually does change things yeah. because we have seen, you know, Moira in the far, far future, like she was in How- powers of 10 uh, in this series. So like, it's clearly playing a little bit with what Hickman set up for this entire era of X-Men, which is really exciting. Yeah. Positions her in a more villainous kind of way, which I think is really interesting. You know, she calls herself, I didn't she calls herself that. the Judas of Krakoa now. And I, I think that, that whole aspect of it is really interesting. I mean, I thought for the first few issues, she was a good guy until she started, you know, she wore her boyfriend's skin. And then I was like, I don't know if you can come back from that. I don't know. These books, really violent. <laughs> These are not PG rated. Wearing the skin of Banshee. Yeah. Like, <laughs> also, there was a scene in like a motel with Mystique that was also incredibly violent. These books are, are crazy, guys. This stuff is not for kids. They are. They are. Talking about crazy, uh, my most anticipated book next week is Ghost Cage by Nick Tragoda and Caleb Golner. Um, there's been some preview pages released by Image. What so a far. great title. It, it's black and white. I know, right? It's crazy. Sci- it's Think Akira uh, kind of sci-fi where mind-boggling, not only the art, but like the ideas uh, presented. It's this strange, far future. And when I say strange, I mean strange. Uh, strange creatures, strange character design. Uh, it just It's taking a wild swing in the sci-fi realm that you don't normally see. And the Dragota, I mean, come on. East of West with Hickman was, you know, top class stuff. I actually, we, t- we did a whole episode on this show talking about um, East of West specifically. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do love me some good sci-fi. I really love uh, Raised by Wolves right now just because it's so freaking weird and trippy. And uh, I, I'm expecting something similar with this. And then, 
In our next segment, Judging by the Cover Junior, we talk about our favorite cover art, which you can see on this podcast post if you go to the website. Uh, my favorite cover out next week is Venom Lethal Protector Number 1 by David Nakayama. You know David Nakayama as super clean, digital-looking art that, in this case, is super silly and funny. We've got Venom with a bib with a brain on it, and Spider-Man in the background, apparently he's cooked a brain because it looks like a brain. He's tipping this uh, plate up and to show uh, he's cooking for Venom and Venom is ready to eat. Uh, <laughs> it's just so silly, ridiculous. Uh, Wolver- uh, Venom is just like super massive and huge. Uh, I just like the concept of it mostly. But what is your favorite cover? Art so game? I did um, for Miss Marvel beyond the limit number four, which is um, a really delightful mini series that they're doing now with, with Kamala Khan um, the artist Mashal Ahmed, who I was not familiar with, um, really outstanding artist, very bright, very kind of lovely, you know, primary colors. Um, the, the way that she framed this cover is Kamala is inside a snow globe and trying to punch her way out. And just the composition yeah. of it is really cool. And, and I love kind of, you know, how much restraint it takes to leave, you know, a lot of the cover just blank basically and have all of this detail packed into the snow globe. And it just fits the vibe of the series so well. And it got me so interested in um, uh, Michelle Ahmed's art that I went and looked at her Instagram and she recently did a series of sketches of punchline. And let me tell you, awesome. DC, give her a call (laughs) because yeah, (laughs) really, really, really good stuff. I love the uh, the bubbles. You can see uh, Kamala is like it's actually like in a liquid um, snow globe. So like she's probably going to suffocate in there eventually. And you can see the air bubbles <laughs> coming off of her face. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it, it's it's all interesting. And that Kamala Concha looks really cool too. That the trailer just came out for. Her. Yeah, we just got the trailer. Yeah, it looks really dope. I can't wait for the cameos. I'm just like, who's gonna show up? Who's gonna show up? <laughs> probably not Moon Knight. Um, <laughs> it's like his fists are bloody and she's like what are you doing sorry in our last segment off topic top shelf we're going to ask Dan what are you up to right now that's not comics related so I am up to watching a lot of college basketball because it is March Madness the NCAA tournament is on and it has just been non-stop good basketball from about noon to about midnight and I am a basketball junkie uh, I am a long suffering Philadelphia 76ers fan so it's just really great to see these teams who I have no investment in and, and sometimes from schools that I've never heard of. And you just get to see these really exciting close games and each one matters because win and you advance and lose and your season's over. But definitely the most exciting game was um, St. Peter's, which is a super small school in Jersey City, which I had never heard of. Their mascot is the Peacock. <laughs> They beat Kentucky, <laughs> which, of course, is sort of like the, the traditional heavyweight of college basketball. And they beat them in the first round wow. in this big upset. So oh my even if God. you're not a sports fan, um, it is fun just to see all the, the stories and learn about these schools that maybe you haven't heard of. Now, do you have a, a bracket? Are you doing a like a betting pool with your friends or your or your? Yeah, co-workers? yeah. We, we do it at work. And then I have a couple set up with my friends. But... Um, I think my bracket is getting busted as we speak because uh, the defending champs just <laughs> lost Baylor. So we'll see. Oh, no. Oh, that's a bummer. 
I've always I've always been intrigued by those like work pools where like it's same with like the Super Bowl or whatever or or the playoffs. Because uh, it's like all kind of guessing at some point, right? I mean, like you said, even the best teams can fall. Oh, hundred percent, and it's so random because it's just one game. So you know, anyone can beat anyone, um, especially you know right. these teams that have never played each other and, and probably don't know much about each other. I do love me a good superhero uh, sports issue where they play baseball. Or I know. Seriously, if you were Peter Parker. Just go into the NFL. You will never get tackled. You will be the greatest <laughs> running back of all time. Because your spider sense, I've clearly thought about this quite a lot. <laughs> your spider sense will get you into the end zone every time. To the point where people would think you were cheating. It's been a long time since we've seen the X-Men play baseball. Instead, they just drink. They just go to that bar in Krakoa and drink. They, you know, That's we true. Need, we need to bring back the baseball. How are they not all getting... like? <laughs> They're gonna get like you know beer bellies and stuff. They gotta they gotta work out. Get the get the games going. Get Xavier in there. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much. Where can uh, folks uh, find you on the internet if you if you want them to find you? <laughs> so my day job is actually writing about the complete opposite of all of this, which is national security um, for the magazine Mother Jones. So that is where you can find me. Um, my Twitter is Dan Spinelli nine zero two. And occasionally you can find my scribblings about comics on AIPT. Very nice. Check out Dan. He's a great guy, clearly. We've just spent over an hour talking, and I feel like I could talk with you for another hour. Uh, If you like this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, tell your friends. And thanks so much. We'll see you next week. We have some pretty cool guests on the way. Thank you for having me, Dave. Always a pleasure. Hey, you're as good as any of our future guests. Let me tell you. You top (laughs) them all.